0: Okay, can I tell you I'm worried about this topic? What is today, Tuesday?
1: Yeah. Danielle was awful this week, so. There's a, it'll be, yeah, we'll see.
0: (laughs) Can that be your intro? (laughs) Heck yeah. So there we go.
1: It's episode 93 of the EdTech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden and she wishes she was at the hottest spot north of Havana. It's Danielle Brostrom. It's really cold really in here. Really cold in here. <laughs> After reading the I Ching's Terms of Service Agreement, we've decided to share publicly this week's Moment of Zen. They who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty or safety. The recipe's essential ingredients are copyright protected, but we've, we've obtained the rights to add them to this week's meat of the show. The future of privacy. I had, a, I had a question to start out with, but I really want I wanted, I had these quotes and I'm like, I want to start out with this and see where you go with it. So the quote this time was from Twitter, because Twitter, the primary mission, first, am I pronouncing it right? Is it Copa? Kappa. Kappa. because they don't want it to be the Copacabana, which is the <laughs> reference earlier. No, maybe. I gotcha. Uh, now okay. I get it. All right, Copa. there we go. And it's really Copa. cold in here. Did I mention it's cold in here? It is cold in here. Okay. Um, the primary mission of Kappa is to place parents in control of what info is collected from their children. As a parent, I find this impossible. And that's from uh, Sherry Kysucker at Shirkies, I do believe on Twitter. And I, I read that and I thought to myself, yep. Yep. So what is COPPA?
0: The original COPPA was passed in 1998 and it was enacted in 2000. So, just just think about that in terms of where we've come in ed tech,
1: first of all. First, what is COPPA? (laughs) You're going to kick me back there, are you? (laughs) Okay. Acronym time. (laughs) So,
0: essentially, Congress made some value judgments about the potential harm to children due to online activity, and so that it was important for websites that are targeted towards kids to collect parental consent before they collect, before they use or disclose any of the child's information and data. Mm-hmm. So the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission, made some rules and suggestions as to how that would happen. And COPPA is kind of the result of this work. So it really provides special protections for what they deem to be children, which is actually under 13, which is another conversation that they had. Um, but it's it really just tries to protect our our littlest our littlest littles um, for their online activity. So it's uh, what I was saying is it's interesting because the fact that this was thought of in '98 when the internet was really just starting to gain some traction, and then enacted in 2000. That was 19 years ago. There was a small update done in 2013, which I want to talk about later, but. There's a lot that has happened since then, which is why I think last week, the reason this topic came up, on my radar at least, um, last week the FTC had a workshop called The Future of Copper Rule. And they had an entire day's worth of some experts who were talking about this digital playground idea. And... They had, they had panels, they had experts. And it was just amazing and fascinating. And that's actually why I was late to record the podcast today, because I was sitting in my office watching the, the, um, the tape from last week. So <laughs> You are correct. Nerdy. I know, so nerdy. Very nerdy. <laughs> but I will link it up in the show notes, because I think there's some really good, there's some good information, and there were some sessions that were really, really good. So I will uh, point those out.
1: It seems to me that in the um, early 2000s, actually a little bit ahead of the game, for sure. At that point in time, oh yeah, you know, uh, so some very smart people saw that there was going to potentially be some issues. As we've gone through the next two decades, it seems like we've kind of dropped the ball. We have, <laughs> we have dropped the ball,
0: but it's—I don't think it's really our fault. I think the—if you look at the even just the amount of mobile devices in the home from when this was enacted to now I mean you went from like 41 percent had smartphones to like 95 percent have smartphones and they're putting their kids on them just that tidal wave of an increase in devices it was dramatic and it was game-changing and I think We, as as parents and teachers, are trying to keep up. I think our pediatricians are trying to keep up. The researchers are trying to keep up. And everyone's just trying to figure out how to manage it all. I don't think that um, we meant to drop the ball. I think that it was just all of a sudden the tsunami was coming at us. And we were like, oh, whoa! I wasn't prepared for that. So I think um, that— in. I mentioned that in 2013, they did do some updates to it. They said things like um, hold on, I'm going to grab my notes because this is a really, really meaty topic. (laughs) There's a lot of notes. (laughs) There's a lot of notes. A lot of notes. But they did um, increase the protections. They said that we are going to. Um, talk about new forms of PII. So, so PII um, is, are all the things that we use to, to identify kids. So they are now talking about behavioral advertising. So identifiers that can recognize the user over time and across websites, that that can be considered PII. And photos and videos and audio files can be a kid's PII. So if you're putting an audio recording of a kid online, that's their personal identifiable information. Um, geolocation is also included in that. They increased some new forms of parental consent. So some new ways that parents can say, yes, I approve of this site or no, I don't. And then they also um, increased the coverage to talk about like Internet of Things devices, like little VTech tablets and things like that. Um, and platforms like YouTube were included for the first time. So it was good that they made some changes there. And I think and they talked about this in the in the panel that there's there's a lot more that they still need to do. And some countries are further ahead than us. Like looking at um, the GDPR that's over in Europe, they're a lot more strict and they do provide people more control over their data. And uh, California enacted some laws to um, increase protection for kiddos under 16. And that if you're a business, you have to have like an age gate on your website that says, are you for sure over 16? And they have to opt in or opt out. Um, it's not perfect, but I think <laughs> sounds sounds <laughs> less than enforceable. It, it's, yes, it is, unfortunately. But I think the fact that people are talking about this and people are asking for more regulation um, is just showing that we don't quite understand. we don't quite trust what companies are doing with our data. So, um it's good that people are talking about this. It's great that they had this entire day of experts talking about this rule and how they can make things better for kids
1: you know briefly going through the thread the corporations don't have a handle on it the users certainly don't have a handle on it mm-hmm. i think there's a there's a a lack of understanding on some of the basic issues probably because it is going so fast i forget the ted talk oh it was the, the google designer it was one of the, a former google designer okay. that um brought up that really attention right now is The commodity that's the currency, and I don't know if I don't even know if companies really recognize, you know, or the powers that be really recognize that that is the case, even though they are marketing to it. Um, One of the stats that did come up was you know fifty-three percent of kids ages three to four have already been online and have an online presence, and by the age of eighteen, every person has at least 70,000 data points, trackable data points. Oh my word. And, and that, I have to say, I wouldn't doubt if that's old data. Yeah. It came in reference to a particular business owner that mentioned that things aren't marketed, that their digital devices, or online devices aren't marketed to kids. Either that was just a lie, or there was a lack of recognition that, since most, most things online are based off of algorithms, any time something is getting tracked and the, that data is getting logged, the algorithm is going to feed marketing to the child. They're going to give them what they want based on the clicks and those data points. So even though the device isn't specifically marketed to the child, which I don't necessarily right. buy right. either, but it's a soft currency. Even as a soft currency, that being attention, the algorithm is marketing to the child, specifically the individual child. We are allowing that that currency to be spent.
0: You should I told myself
1: I wasn't going to get on a soapbox, and that, <laughs> that took good. about five minutes. It's a little
0: soapbox. <laughs> you should go back, Larry, and watch the section of the FTC workshop. Um, the first person who spoke, her name is Jenny Radeski, and she's from U of M Medi- Medical School. Um, she was fascinating with the research that they've been doing down there on app design, data collection, and policy implications. They did a content analysis of 135 apps that are marketed or played by children that were found in the kids section of the app store. So these aren't necessarily um, ones that were recommended for kids, but they were one that they said, sure, kids can play them. We'll throw them in the kids
1: section. And And again, (laughs) not not to interrupt, but they're not recommended for kids. But if a kid is on the app store and the data points that they're placing on the app store lead them there. guess what it is marketed to kids
0: right and they found on those apps that were marketed towards kids lots of pop-up ads bannered ads sponsored content and some of them said things like sponsored content but they're marketed towards preschoolers and preschoolers can't read so you're trying to get them to click on those things um some of the ads even had inappropriate content for kids guns and knives, adult themed content the ad networks aren't filtering out the adult ads and they're also using an adult-centered design they're trying to apply that to kids. And kids can't, kids can't distinguish. All the research shows that kids, even school age and school age and under, they can't distinguish what's going on with that advertisement. So applying an adult center's design to kids apps is really um, something we as a consumer need to need to fight against because kids deserve content that is designed for them and that is safe for them. And that is just not going to put them in situations where they're seeing all these things. It's not fair.
1: And that leads me to the question. So what is age appropriate design? I saw that a lot mm-hmm. in a lot of the, the tweets. What does that mean?
0: I would look to PBS as a leader in that. If you look at the stuff that PBS is putting out, they are always thinking of the end user and the child. I mean, it man, it goes back to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know? Uh I mean, I know, but that was designed for a child and what a child needs. And I think that, I think as a culture and as a society, we need to recognize that kids need something different and kids deserve something different. And even if you look at the number of kids that are playing we talked about the content that was marketed towards kids but a lot of the kids are playing the content that isn't marketed towards them and how do we how, how do we keep them safe i think it's our duty to give kids a better experience and i would look to pbs as a leader
1: in that so a couple things talking about uh mr rogers oh
0: see and, i uh, did it too Aww. <laughs>
1: and i want to bring up something called the children's fire i think we may have talked about this as well by it was a a book by um, Tim McCartney and he also had a talk and we'll link in the show notes to the talk. So I think it's really important. And the general concept, you know, not to go too deep into it is a healthy society puts the child first. And when they're making decisions on an adult level, the first question that's asked before any other question is, is this good for our children? So when we're talking about age-appropriate design, when we're talking about algorithms, when we're talking about any of this, on the highest level, on that, to be honest, on that corporate level, when there, when decisions are being made about what is what is appropriate or what is healthy for our product long term, really the first question that needs to be asked or should be asked is, is this good for our children? Until that happens, a lot of the conversation around COPPA is going to probably miss or is going to be hard to enforce or hard to establish because the will behind it isn't there. PBS is doing a very good job, but if the algorithm isn't leading the child to PBS, the child's not going to see it. Their decisions are going to be led someplace else. And as Sherry uh, Kaiseker had said, As a parent, I find it impossible to keep track of those data points and really manage my child's online identity without it being a a real community effort.
0: I think it has to be. I don't think it's fair to put that on parents. And I think that's what our tech companies and our app makers have said. They've said, well, parents need to use this monitoring software and parents need to do a better job of being next to their kid when they're using their device to make sure that they're doing what's appropriate. Yeah, we should. But... Wow, that is so ridiculously hard and you can't put another thing on my shoulders because as a parent, I am trying to do a million things and you've got kids with these devices that can move from room to room. It's not just sitting down and watching a television program together. And talking about it, it's
1: They're not wrong. I mean, they're not wrong.
0: They're not wrong, but man, but it should help it, us out a little bit. Exactly.
1: Exactly. It's really easy for both the parent and the corporation. Or the school or whatever, you know, entity it is to say it's somebody else's fault.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> and I'll go back to the, the the children's fire until all the parties involved start with the question, is this good for the child? We're probably going to miss the mark. It really does affect how our children are perceiving the world and how they're educated and how they grow and what society they grow into.
0: And I think ed tech... Needs to be talking about this. I know that sometimes when I have this discussion with my teachers, they're like, "What are you doing? Everyone else is using this app. Nobody's talking about this. Why are you, why are you Why are you putting a lid on this?" And I, I feel like, okay, not everyone is talking about this yet, but man, we have to be, especially in ed tech. ISTE did a survey and districts with over a thousand students, which. I mean, we're over 10,000, but districts with over 1,000 students are using approximately 548 different ed tech tools. And that came from the Project Unicorn site, which if you don't know Project Unicorn, they're amazing. They do a lot of work with interoperability. So how can all these things talk to each other so that it doesn't end up being more work on the teacher's part to collect all this data? It's it's another whole thing we'll talk about another time. <laughs> but But man, just 548 distinct ed tech tools – Think about all that data and
1: all of those companies. In a district the 10th the size. Yeah. A 10th the size of All ours. of
0: those companies are, they're marketing to schools and schools are signing up because this is a great way to get kids engaged or this is going to help with this one problem I have in the classroom or this is going to make me more efficient or whatever. But you can't rely on those tech companies to protect our kids' data. We be—we have to be, we, ha- we have to be on it and we have to check it and we have to use something else if that doesn't do what we want. I think this is a discussion worth having, and especially, especially in ed tech.
1: No matter what we do, there's data points.
0: Yes, but we can do a better job for our children. Our children deserve better than what they're getting right now. They deserve to have control of their data. They deserve to say no. I am, <laughs> I am six years old, and I shouldn't be tracked and marketed towards. We like what you talked about. We need to do better for our children if we want them to grow up in a society that just makes sense and is good for them.
1: Well, I think we already have lost or don't have a handle on the ways in which our simplest attention is affecting the environment that's put in front of us. It's not 50s advertising. It's, it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot softer and a lot more invasive. And we don't see it. And we certainly don't see it for our kids.
0: Here's what I think is encouraging, though. There are experts looking at this. There are experts that are talking about this, and they are trying to make this better. That's important. I think five years ago, if you went to, go back to EdTech, if you went to any of your big EdTech conferences, this was not on anyone's radar at all. So I think the fact that you will see sessions about this and people are talking about, about data and how we can do better for our kids, that's encouraging. So
1: this isn't Black Mirror. Thank you. Thank you. So what were some of the findings?
0: Some of the work being done, just that, well, they definitely need to look at Kappa again and make sure that they're covering all the things that they want to cover with it. There was a lot of discussion about, is 13 the appropriate age? Should it be higher? Um, no decisions were made. It was just a discussion among experts. Um, and then I think one of the big things that they kept reiterating was that there is some potential harm with using emerging technologies. And they were concerned that people were going to go, oh, this is bad. We're out. But there's so much good there as well. So I think you can't get freaked out and totally cut yourself off from everything, which we talk about that a lot on this podcast. That there's a lot of good things about about e-learning that we can, you know, data can help support teachers, make better decisions, and we can really zero in on what that individual child needs. And we can do a lot of good things with um, letting kids be creative.
1: Data is not necessarily bad.
0: No, data is not necessarily bad. And all all those online things that we used to do, those, those great things, they do collect personal data. But we, we just need to be cautious, but the fact that, that it's not all bad. I think that was a big thread throughout the conference. And then they also talked about whether um, schools and teachers can continue consenting on the behalf of parents. Cause right now they can, there's a school official designation or something like that where I can say that, yes, we need this for school. Um, I'm going to consent on the behalf of parents and let my kids use this. But parents should really be in control of their minor status. So there was a lot of discussion about that. I think that the FTC is going to revisit this and that, you know, time will tell what kind of protections we can put in place for our kids. But I think it was encouraging.
1: The fact that the discussion is happening is a step in the right direction.
0: We're talking about it on a podcast.
1: Nerds! (laughs) There's so much more meat on this bone.
0: No, I'm, I think there are definitely some articles and some images from the recording that I want to link up and the recording, and I'll do that in the show notes.
1: Going back to the what is age-appropriate design, as we're bringing our children through the school system, incorporating appropriate digital literacy as they're going through when they get to 13, the hope would be they're more literate, digitally literate, and able to handle some of the decision-making regarding data and privacy at that point because they've been made aware and educated appropriately regarding it
0: boom can you tech tool of the week me is it is it
1: that time is it, it tech tool is. of the it week is. time it
0: is. it is tech tool of the week it is digital citizenship week and there is um, a growing hashtag on twitter did commit where people are talking about um what, what they can do in the next However long to increase their awareness or their students' awareness of digital citizenship. So um, I, I just have to talk about Common Sense Media again. Um, I think that's my tech tool of the week. That is an amazing resource. And no kidding, every single time I go there to look for something, I find something new that I didn't know was on there, and I get really excited about it. Their lessons that they offer for educators K twelve are fantastic. They're short. They're to the point. And they cover a wide range of topics in digital citizenship and media literacy. One of the things that they found in the research is that um, we talk to kids about if you ask them about this privacy and data collection, all that stuff, they, they know about passwords. They know that they should keep their password safe. They know that photo sharing is an issue. They know that they should ask people before they share their photo online. But though they don't understand the complex things about that You know, a school has your data and social media platforms have your data. And all of those things, there are common sense media lessons around. So I think the more that we can talk about those, those topics that are um, outside the norm, common sense media is covering them. And they're talking about how images are altered and retouched and how companies market to you. And I just, I love their resources for educators. And what I found last week that I got really excited about, they have some ready-made presentations. So if you or someone in your school district wants to talk to families about this, but you think you're not an expert, you don't quite know all the information, wow, none of us are experts. None of us know all the information. But opening up that conversation is a great place to start and Common Sense Media has some amazing resources and presentations and um, question guides that you can use to start that conversation with families. So um, Common Sense Media is my top tool of the week.
1: Tutorials and updates. The technologist is out of, just absolutely out of control. Power teacher, pro, and bright arrow introductions, ed tech standards and framework help options and more. And I'm thinking about Instagram. I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I'm looking at all these tutorials and I'm like, you know what? I wonder if we can do something with those on Instagram. So, you know, feel free to give me any feedback I'll on read that. I'll the
0: privacy policy and then I'll tell you.
1: Ooh, ooh. Well played. Boom. <laughs> All right. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, ATCapsLoop. At BrostromDA. Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher. Tune in, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, wherever else you get your your candy. Please leave a review. We love the feedback. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I'm going to edit a decent amount of that out. (laughs)